0: Let's pray, Lord, we give you thanks that that is the truth of the matter. That even in our failures, in our weakness, we don't look to that for our strength, we don't look to that for change ultimately. We look to you. Many of us have lived long enough on this earth to discover the frailty of human living, human promises human strength and many of us have discovered in the midst of that that it is in you that we find transformation hope peace joy and all that is good about our human race and Lord, we pray that you would increase our understanding our awareness our vision of all that you are that we would desire you still more we would surrender still more, and that we would experience you still more each day as we are being renewed in your likeness, we pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated, have a rest. Southern California sun is hot, I have a red glow to my face a little bit, you should see what's under here though, oh my goodness. (laughs) Aloe is the best plant God ever invented. (laughs) Welcome to New Song Church this morning. Uh, As Melody mentioned in uh, the announcements time, yesterday midday we had this really cool little event next door at Charter Oak Mobile Home Park um, with a bunch of New Song. uh, Let's say those who qualify for the Ross uh, discount, over 55s, I had a whole bunch of people, um, like 30 or so residents from, what was that? that I sounded like a trombone for a second there. Um, I was like, how many instruments you had back there, Jason? But um, I mean, a lot of uh, folks from uh, Charter Rope came and hung out with us. And we had uh, intended this for two purposes. One was to just remind the older folks in our church that we value them, that we love them, and that we deeply appreciate them. Um, And we think it's really important because as we've said often, uh, our society is quite skewed toward youth. uh, And it's easy to kind of sometimes feel that that, uh, the world is kind of changing uh, and maybe you just aren't significant anymore, you don't have a place. uh, But we believe in the concept of the body of Christ and no matter what your age, uh, there is a place for you that you are needed. Um, And the second one was to connect with the people who live in that community. Originally we thought about doing it here. Then we thought, we've been invited over to Charter Oak by a couple of people. We have a Bible study every Wednesday afternoon, and we've been meeting a lot of amazing folks over there. But we recognize that there's a lot of people who are, are lonely, um, who don't have family around. And so we thought, let's do it over there and invite all of the people, the residents there. So we've had a lot of grace with the, the park and the manager there. So she, they actually stapled our flyers to every magazine that was distributed to the entire park. So we had a really, really good time yesterday. And what's amazing is when you start to meet people, you discover their stories. And, and just in the short time we've been there, uh, we've learned a lot about the different people who, who are there. Yesterday, I once again met a guy called Bud, who was uh, served on one of the gunboats in Vietnam, going upriver. Um, pretty incredible stories that he has, uh, an amazing guy. And then we have Penelope, who's one of the early days uh, of the Mickey Mouse Club. It's just, that's like two people, you know? I'm like, whoa, we could just talk for hours about what they've experienced. And then you think about, expand it to all the people who were there yesterday, and even to this room this morning, the amount of experiences that we have, the history that we have, the places we've been, the things we've seen, uh, the mistakes we've made. It is good to remember our past. You know, they say uh, those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it, right? Uh, It's important to remember where we've come from Uh, what our life has been about up to this point. Uh, Because it can be surprising sometimes looking back on where we were uh, and where we are now and how on earth did we get here. So it's good to remember the past. There's there's ways of recording your your past in that present. And some of them actually can lead to amusement, such as uh, keeping a diary. Who here kept a diary when they were a kid? Who still has copies of it? You still have those things? It's kind of scary. Um, so Ronna, my darling wife, gave me permission to read a section of her diary from when she was a young child. But it's just interesting to see like how you've changed. So she said, dear diary, how are you? Today I feel better. And today at recess, me, Sue, Teresa, and Burnett, people, she can't even remember who these are now, played house and played mud pies. Everybody thinks that I'm a nice, clean girl, but they underestimate me. I like to ride horses and play with mud pies. Tomorrow, I'm going roller skating again. I hope to get better grades in language. I played Barbies tonight. I'm reading two books. One is Black Gold, a horse story. She was horse obsessed. And the other is about Mary Todd Lincoln, whoever that is. Anyway, good night, diary, Rana. You know, it's uh, I just love that. I met Ronna when she was 30, I was 29, and I never had any experience of, of her as a child. But having a read through her diary, you can kind of see just so many parts of Ronna trying to figure out who she was in the world. And so I'd ask who were you when you were a child, a teenager, a young adult? What hopes and dreams did you have? Uh, did they come to fruition? Um, what are your memories? You know, now most of our recollections are on digital, in a digital world, right? Uh, with Facebook. Who here has Facebook? Like, really, honestly, put your hand up if you have a Facebook account, for reals, okay. So please, if you haven't friended me, please friend me, because I'm feeling a little, uh, I need some boost in my ego. So (laughs) I'm trying to get my friend count up. But, you know, if you have Facebook, every now and then they post this thing. It's a reminder of your memories, like something that happened four years, six years ago, one year ago. Uh, And I kind of like that, because it would be quite amazing to see where you were. At the time, you know, you look at the picture, and you go, "Wow, you had no idea what was to come. Uh, and maybe it's not so good now, maybe it's better now, but it's always interesting to see. For example, two years, two years ago, I was walking uh, in Fuller's, uh, Fuller Northwest Commencement Ceremony with my degree, and Facebook reminded me of this a few short days ago. It was June 5th, 2017, and my mother and father were over from Scotland. There they are, proud of their son. Finally, the black sheep <laughs> does something worthwhile with his life that they can actually see on a piece of paper and say, Look. Finished something, finally. Um, but you know, it was, uh, I had no idea, not even a single clue that two years later I would, be, I would be down here in Southern California, a pastor at New Song Church, San Dimas. Not a clue that that could ever have happened, but it would come to pass, and I would find myself here. You guys. Um, and so even at that time, I still had a whole bunch of, like, four classes, grueling classes to go before actually finishing the degree, even though I walked in, in June. But beyond that, it was not an easy journey. I didn't know at that time, but I had a pretty arduous uh, journey ahead of me. Before I would ever get down here to Southern California, I was going to go through a season of deep anxiety, just debilitating fear for my health, my marriage, my future, everything. Um, and looking back now, I can see the work that was done in that season. I mean, I had a tremendously difficult time in early 2018. And actually, I do have a diary that I did keep at that time. Um, and some of it, it just it brings me right back to that time when I just thought, where has God gone? What's happening? I thought this, there was a process happening here of me uh, serving and then going to school. And then I suddenly felt like maybe that was all gonna go away. Um, but I do, now with hindsight, I look back and go, I think... I see what God was doing through that time. And I would have skipped it if I'd had my choice, right? Those times, you're like, I would skip that. But looking back, I realized that as painful as it was, God was doing something really remarkable in my life that was part of his plan. It was not out with his plan. It was not a a diversion from his plan. It was actually part of the plan that he was gonna show me that I was utterly dependent upon him for everything, that I couldn't, by my own strength, make anything happen, create the future. I had to wait on him. What was amazing in that time was I had a lot of people praying for me uh, and also tolerating my dark moody turns. It was a tough time. I just wanna be honest about it because I think we all face those times where you, you just think that, what has happened? You know, I'm standing at my degree and next thing I know I'm, I'm going to urgent care frightened out my mind about what's happening to my body. Um, But he continued to lead me through that time and he met me there, that's the most amazing thing. Like God meets people in those places. If we will listen, if we will seek, I think sometimes we we try and fix it for a long time before we get to the point where finally you're just done. And then you have, God has, he's right there. Uh, And that happened to me one of these days. It was actually a day when I went to urgent care three times in five days. The last two times I saw the same nurse which was just totally embarrassing, because she was telling me there's nothing wrong with me, but I was losing my mind. It was a spiritual battle. It was a physical battle. It was a lot of things, um, but that week, I was, I was reading through, I have this daily devotion, devotional, which is just scripture, and I was reading through it, and it Psalm 40 came along, and many of you songers know about Psalm 40, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. It said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. And when I read that, I was like, whew. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And you could read that scripture a million times, but when I read that text, I knew deep down in the depth of my being that this was a time to trust in the faithfulness of God, that he was saying, what my friends, my mother, people praying for me had said, you keep moving forward. This is not with God's plan. He still has you. You move forward. You trust him. And so I said to God, I said, I'll trust you, God. I will trust you. Even if I don't get better, I will trust that you know what you're doing with my life. And I'm not gonna judge what's gonna happen, but I will trust you. And at that point, my perspective changed powerfully. Uh, No more uh, woe is me, but it became go is me. No woe is me, it was go is me. I was like, whatever, this is flesh. But I am his, and I don't need to be afraid. And so I clung to those promises, and I dug into the word. um, And I asked myself, do I really believe that I'm in the grip of a good God, that I can turn my life over to Him completely. I could trust Him. And I did discover through that season that that I can, that I could, that I can and I will, and not always perfectly, and especially when things are good again, right? It's so easy to become just a little less attentive when things are going pretty well. How about you guys? How about you, my friends? How do you connect the dots between where you have been and where you are now where you are going. I would like us all to walk out if you're confident about a couple of things. The first is just that we have a relationship with God that is open. There's a way is open for us to step through through Jesus Christ. All of our sin, all of our failure, it's forgiven. Grace is extended to us, and so we can step into that relationship. But not only that, to have the confidence that He is sovereign over all. There's nothing. Uh, with his uh, observation, his power, his ability to use these things for good, for our good and for his glory, nothing. So this morning's text is very long, four chapters. (laughs) This is like a record so far for me. And it was originally done by design because I wanted to finish Acts on time to start the summer series. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Let's do four chapters. That's gonna be awesome. Uh, We have two more weeks to go after this. Um, I hope you guys received the email about reading it. So I'm gonna pick a number out for who's reading it this morning. Oh. So Oh it's you. No, I'm kidding. That was a joke. It's not. We're not gonna read it this morning. But the email came out and it sounded at first glance like could you please to everyone who got it, it was to their personal name, through the wonders of the internet. Would you please read Acts chapter blah, blah, blah this Sunday or whatever it was? But, so Justin, thankfully, sent our, our second email saying, you don't have to read it on Sunday. Just try and read it before the Sunday service because we're not going to read the whole thing. Whew, everyone's like, sigh of relief. Um, but it is legitimate, I think, to have these four chapters together because there's a common theme all the way through it. And it really is it's the Apostle Paul has been taken by the Roman authorities because of a riot once again. Um, and he is being held uh, captive now, which, as we heard last week, is going to be his, his, his future now, pretty much. Um, it's always good to remember this is a human life. This is a person, living, breathing, feeling human being in the midst of this really chaotic time, just like you or I. Uh, and the time period is about 3,000 words or so, this section, these four chapters, but it represents over two years of Paul's life It's a long time, and I think that's helpful because we can look at a longer period of someone's life in that sense, and we can sort of see some some of the providence of God, the promises of God, the way he is leading and guiding and and protecting his servant, Paul. Um, So what does it give us a sense of, well, first it's a really difficult situation. Paul is not a free man any longer. Can you imagine what it's like to be a prisoner? Uh, unable to choose what you do, where you go, with whom you associate, what you eat. Um, so we see Paul in the situation. It's very difficult. He is, has he is been sidelined away from what you think would be God's plan for him, which would be to be free. And he's now, he's now captive. He's been taken captive, and he is surrounded by enemies on all sides. And he's alone, for the most part. But there's one primary fact that comes to the surface over this time, and it's really this, that Paul has learned to trust God's promises, not people's. People's promises, oaths, words don't mean that much to Paul anymore, but there's one thing that is just resoundingly true about him, is he trusts the God who called him. And I love the way Luke, the writer of Acts, makes this pretty clear, even by the way he chooses to order the story. And I'd encourage you, if you've not read it, go after, you know, sometimes this week and read these four chapters again. Uh, to, to sort of give yourself some shape to this, because I'm not going to read it as I said. But it's a really dark time for Paul. But it says in Acts 23, 11, that, that he receives a word from God, that he hears from God. Like when I read Psalm 40, you cannot persuade me that that was not for me that day. You cannot persuade me. You can say, well, factually, scientifically, etc. that's kind of subjective ground. I'll say, I don't care what you think. God told me that and he saw me through in line with what he said there. Um, so that's the wonderful thing about having a witness, right? You can share what has happened to you. And if it doesn't have the ring of truth, fine. If you're faking it, fine. But if it's from your heart and your conviction, that's a powerful thing in this world um, to say that you have encountered God. So it says in Acts 23:11, it says, the Lord stood near Paul. And I don't know if that means any kind of physical thing or is it just a sense of closeness? I don't know. But it says that Paul heard this, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. So first thing, take courage. That's the first thing he hears. Take courage. There's only seven times this phrase is used in the New Testament, and every single one of them, is from Jesus to people. Take courage. It's translated as don't be afraid, have courage, be of good heart. It's a very like, you know, in the midst of all this chaos, like be of good heart. It's such a simple, gentle Encouraging thing to say. There's no uh, plan in there. There's no, like, well, if you do this, it's just like simply have courage. Take courage. And then he goes on to say that you have testified about me in Jerusalem. It's not pleasant. You will also testify in Rome. And Paul's already mentioned about probably going to Rome. It's been in his heart and his mind. This is a, he's a strategic person. He wants to go to a place where uh, he can have the most impact. And he's already been in Athens, a big central part of uh, the world then, but now God tells him, "You must testify in Rome." That's really encouraging. He so "You will go there. You will get there. Nothing here in this place, this threat, this danger, none of that's going to stop you. You will arrive in Rome. You will go there." It reminds me of Jesus, a time when he was with his disciples and they were doing their work and they're traveling, and Jesus said to them one day, "We must cross over to the other side of the lake." Okay. Um, so they get in a boat and they go, and what happens, a storm blows up. And I always think it's really amazing because Jesus is sleeping in the boat. He's fast asleep and the disciples are losing their minds. We're gonna die, doesn't he even care? Wake up, master, don't even care that we're gonna die. What did Jesus say though? He said, we must, we will cross over to the other side of the lake. That was his confidence. This is where we're going next. Nothing's gonna stop us, not even nature, not even the power of the storm. It's just simply a minor inconvenience at this point. Um, And Paul had been learning this, that even in the midst of danger and struggle and opposing forces, what God promised, God would carry out through him. So what about the promises of people? I said I love the way that Luke puts things together, and this is particularly great and amusing. Um, He's very clearly puts things in order. So this, this word comes from God to Paul. The very next thing that it says is this in Acts 23, 12 to 14. The next morning, this is after, right after Paul has received this word. Some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to drink or eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were about to become very hungry. Uh, more than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath Not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Paul's going to Rome. Like I said, these guys are skipping breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they're gonna get very hungry. I wonder how long they kept their promise. They went to the official leaders of their religion and said, we make a promise. Old Testament says, do not make an oath lightly. You must fulfill it. It's just like, oh my goodness, what have we done? Here they felt pretty foolish when they broke their fast. But I think the juxtaposition is important. God says this, you're gonna to go to Rome. These men say we're gonna kill him before we eat another thing or drink another thing. And, and and doesn't say what happened, right? But you're pretty sure they were just like, uh, you know, I guess we're not gonna do that anymore. Uh, where's the nearest internet Let's go. Did you know internet was started in Middle East, first century, by one of Jesus' disciples? Um, so the thing is, all around the certain sure promises of God, the lesser oaths and promises and threats, whatever, of people, they just kind of fall away. There's no comparison, there's no comparison. You know, we can promise things all the time. You know, we promise to fidelity in marriage, we promise now, all kinds of things. And, and not only sometimes do we simply just outright fail to do it from our own selfishness, whatever it might be, but circumstances often just like derail our promises. We didn't mean to, but it's just circumstantially, we, we can't keep our promise. But in the midst of that, through it all, the certain and sure promises of God will prevail and will be fulfilled. And Paul's seeing this. Do you know this? Do you experience this? Do you understand? Do you believe he will promise, and what he promises, he will fulfil. And beyond that, Paul's a person, right? You know, we said last week about you can please some people some of the time, you can't please some people, all people all the time. And one of the things was like you too are a person who cannot be pleased at all times. You always got to remember, you know, it's about us too. We're human beings. We are. We fail. So Paul has learned to trust in God's promises, not himself as well. Uh, Again, he tells the story during these four chapters, the story of his conversion on the road to Damascus, on his way to uh, arrest and drag back to Jerusalem, followers of the way. And so he's telling it now. he's, He's in a trial with Herod and one of the Roman officials, and he tells the story again. He's actually adding other details that have not been revealed before. Why does he do that? He says, I too was convinced I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. He's never said that before. I tried to force them to curse the name of Jesus. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. What's happening is Paul is seeing the faithfulness of God's promises in his life. His own sense of his ability to, to think correctly, to plan correctly, to judge correctly, is falling away, and he's seeing it for the, for the fragile and broken thing that it is. And it seems the more he tells the story, the more he, he starts to realize just how evil and broken and misguided he had been, and he doesn't trust himself anymore, And this is because of his new way of life. The illumination that he has responded to is leading to more illumination about himself and more importantly about God. And the third thing, it's a difficult time for Paul, but he's learned to trust God's promises, not circumstances. Trust God's promises to him, not the circumstances of his life, which are difficult, which are severe, which are terrifying, Firstly, falsely accused again. That's so hard to deal with, isn't it? You know, when you're falsely accused of something, there's like nothing you can do about it, really. The more you try and explain why, you know, people will believe what they want to believe, especially if they've had an agenda around it. And this is for Paul, very much the case. Acts 24, 5, and 6, he said, we have found this man to be a troublemaker. He's stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is the ringleader of the Nazarene sect, he even tried to desecrate the temple, which is not true. He went there to prove his faithfulness to the temple by carrying out the traditions of his people. Um, and once again, he's physically harmed. The high priest, Ananias, ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Paul simply said, I have done nothing to warrant this attack. And the high priest said, Strike him. And he punched him. Real violence. Not only that, he's in the midst of this political stuff. Last week we talked about how many different groups were part of that society, the fabric of it, and how opposing all of their perspectives were and their aims and their goals. It's really complicated. And Paul's stuck in the middle of it all now. And he's now a victim of political maneuvering. He's a pawn in the power plays of these authorities. It says in Acts twenty four twenty seven, when two years had passed, he's been two years imprisoned, this man, Felix, was succeeded by Portius Festus. Doesn't that sound like the Adams family or something? <laughs> hey, Porcius Festus, how's it going? Doodle-doo-doo. It says, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So Felix is leaving office, he wants to curry favor with the power brokers who are gonna kind of report, give him a bit of a progress report or you know, an annual review of how he's done to the Roman officials. And so he says, this will please them. I'm gonna leave Paul in prison. Even though he's not come to any conclusion by his guilt, actually the opposite is true. Paul's probably not guilty. But I'm gonna grant a favor to the Jews. That's what happens in the world. Favors. But so through all this though, here's the thing. Paul doesn't think he needs to defend himself. Really, he'll, he'll give his defense for sure, but he, he knows his power to do that is not what matters. What matters is God's call on his life, God's presence, God's promises. It will take place. And so now he's able to have a clear conscience about things. He has not been doing wrong and he knows it. He's been pursuing not his own desire, but the desire of the God who has shown Someone who was an enemy, Paul himself, an enemy, grace and mercy, and called him into that job to extend it to others, to love his enemies. So he's able to look at the, his, the, the leaders of the Jewish religion at that time. It says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin. Isn't that great? Someone looked you right in the eye and said, My brothers, I've fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. That's powerful. I have fulfilled, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. And then to the Roman authorities, same thing. And they're all full of their promises and their, all their ambitions, whatever it's going on, but he, he stands on the ground of God's promises to him and he speaks authority back to them. He says, I know that for a number of years you have been judge over this nation. This is the, to the Roman official. So I gladly make my defense. I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Secondly, then Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Circumstances come and go. Circumstances are often unfair. But there is a God who will take us through regardless, and we don't put our eyes on the circumstances, we put our eyes on the God who promises to sustain us through anything and everything. And the God who has once spoken will, will carry it out. And then, you know, life gets weird sometimes. Um, And I think God's got a sense of humor, because sometimes the way he's brought things around for me have been kind of amusing. Other times, they've been, you know, pretty pretty difficult. But, and this is the case for Paul in these in these, these, chapters. because Paul has learned to trust God's promises no matter their root or route. Did you say route or root here? Yes. Root, yes. Either one will, will be sufficient. So no matter how it comes about, Paul trusts God's promises, and he's expecting things to go. He's seen a lot of crazy stuff happen. Um. And so sometimes it's kind of in ironic ways. I think this is beautiful. Um, maybe you have an example of this from your life. Um, but what happens is the, 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 his enemies, the Jewish religious leaders, they're, they're plotting to kill him. Um, well, a, a little kid who's Paul's sister's son hears something about it and goes to Paul and tells him, Paul then tells the guard, he tells the commander. And suddenly we have this situation where the Romans pull out all the stops to protect Paul because he said, I'm a Roman citizen. So it's like the ultimate kind of, your enemies are now protecting you from your other enemies. And it's like God's working out this crazy thing to get Paul to Rome. And it's kind of ironic. It says, uh, the commander calls two of his centurions and orders them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. I love the organization of the Roman army, man. But you know, Paul's the prisoner, but yet he's got this like royal guard almost. It's like God's got a sense of humor. It's like your enemy, they're going to escort you uh, and, and they're going to be taking great care. Are you okay there, Paul? Is that cushion comfortable? Your saddle okay? You know, and so it's kind of beautiful. But also, sometimes in in not so amusing or pleasant ways, because God's promises, they do trump our wishes. They should. He is good. We are conflicted, and we don't know the best way. So So at times, what it will seem like is that The fulfillment of the promise leads us in a place that seems unfair, seems wrong, ironic in a a bad way. And this is what happens with Paul. He says uh, at one point toward the end of this passage, I'm now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews. As you yourself well know, he's addressing one of the Roman commanders. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die but if the charges brought against me by these Jewish people are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. That's a big thing. So I don't know if Paul, did Paul jump the gun because he felt like, I'm not gonna do well here. There's too much against me. I don't, I don't you, know, you know, maybe there's some weakness there. But appealing to Caesar as a Roman citizen, you had that right to do that. It was kind of a last resort. Depending on who the Caesar was at the time, and they were not often a, a, a pleasant bunch of people, uh, but it's a big deal. You're gonna go take time with Caesar and you think he's gonna judge you better than the the other people? So it says, after Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Um, this ends up leading to Paul's execution sometime down the line. I don't know when, how long after that this took place, I don't know. But he did go to Rome. So even in that, whether whether he... God inspired him to say this is the way to go or whether it's, he just used the fact that Paul made that appeal, he would go. So the saddest bit is at the very end, it says that the uh, Herod, one of the Herods and the Roman commander confer together about what to do with Paul. And they, they conclude this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Imagine Paul hearing that. Like, that's that human part, right? I blew it. I blew it. What did I do? But to Rome, Paul would go. God was gonna take him there and he was gonna testify to the reality of Christ and the kingdom of God before these leading people. I don't know. I'd love to see the conversation that he had with Caesar himself. You know, Christianity eventually became the the, uh, the official religion of... of uh, Rome, I'm not saying that was a good thing. In many ways, it was a very bad thing. Politics and church like that got seriously together. Um, but he, he went to the center of the empire. But it was complicated and it was painful and it seemed unfair in ways. And it, but he it took into account everything that Paul did and everything that he was, but God called him through and, and led him through. Um, I hope this story of Paul is encouraging to us. I don't know if God's promised you anything, you know but his word is full of promises full of promises you know you get these little books the promises of god books right and i hate to pull scripture out of their context but if you read uh, through them it is quite inspiring to hear what god has promised to people for example he promises he will, in the midst of trials he will work all things together for good for those who love him and who are call, called according to his purpose like his purpose is primary but we are invited to be part of that. What's the worst that can happen? You can die, right? (laughs) Paul said at one point, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, I would much rather depart and be with Christ, but for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, I will stay here, because the promise has not been fulfilled yet. My life is not over yet. As long as I'm breathing, I have purpose, and that's the same for all of us. And maybe you're stuck in a place where you feel misjudged or just hard pressed in life. And I would, I, would, I would invite you to consider just the futility of human promises and we make them all the time, but also the, the central strength of the promises of God who in, nothing can stand in his way. I remember when someone said to me, it was really early in my Christian kind of return to faith, and it, it never left me when they said that if you're seeking to follow the will of God, there's no army, there's no fence, there's no border, there's nothing that can stop you. Nothing can stop you, you're free, that's freedom. You're in as you offer your life to him, and there's nothing that can stop his promises from being fulfilled for your life. So we wanna hear those, we wanna find out, what is God's promise for my life? Where is he gonna take me, what's he gonna do with me? I offer myself to you, God. Share that with me, Lord. Best thing ever, though, is in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us, by us to the glory of God. I love that. I love that. It's in the midst of a passage where he's saying, God is the God of all comfort. who comforts us in any of the trouble that we have so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And it goes on to say, therefore, uh, we know this. We we minister to you. We preach to you. We share with you. And we're not worried about all the stuff that's happening around us because we believe that God has made promises and in Christ they are all yes. And so in response we say, amen. (laughs) Let it be done. Let it be done and it will be done. Here's the amazing thing. You know, if heard a story of Paul this morning, and I find it encouraging, I hope that you do too. Um, But there are people around us right here who have similarly encountered and seen to be steadfast and true the promises of God. And uh, uh, you know, Bud, who was in Vietnam, I don't know what stories he has about his faith when he was facing that kind of situation. I have no idea what Penelope's stories of the Mickey Mouse Club are, but you know, it kind of all been easy, right? Wearing those like pinchy head dress things and whatever. But all around us, there are people who have encountered both the failure of human promises, their own and others. And in the midst of that, have encountered the promises of God to be true. And I've shared a little bit of my story with you. Um, I think maybe we need to be better about, as a regular part of our lives, sharing our stories with one another, especially when it comes to the faithfulness of God. Because we need to hear that, especially when we're struggling. If we can turn to someone, they can say, let me tell you about a time when I was at my wit's end and God promised me that he would see me through uh, to share that. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. Um, the song Oceans, they're gonna lead us in as a time of response, and uh, I remember there was this meme going around on the internet that says, "Stop playing oceans." Worship leaders, stop playing oceans. Did anyone see that? Was well, because they felt that it was like they're really serious words, and they felt that it, become, it was coming kind of rote or flippant, you know? Because being called out onto the waves is not an easy thing, not a fun thing, and the, the song really is about like I can trust you. Um, It says in the song, you've never failed and you won't start now. You've never failed and you won't start now. All I have to say is you can trust God. Um, I will fail you at some point. I know I already have. Hey, I've been here a year. I've failed lots of you. And just so you know, it's gonna happen again. You know? God will never fail you. So don't look at the best human example you can find because they are not it. Look to the God who without the Him, they will be far worse than they are now, Uh, you know? But that's the call this morning, to be unafraid. This means we don't need to be afraid anymore. When the lions and the tigers and the bears come around, we just simply take his hand and we say, I'm with him. You have no power over me because I'm with him. Despite the scars and the bumps and bruises and the sore feet and the headache, I'm with him and he will see me through. Let's worship.